Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. For those of you who are new to this community, you might not know that we are in the middle of this sermon series called Out. Out. <laughs> um, so we are reading through the book of Exodus and also talking about how that lines up with the story of Jesus. Because here's the thing, if you've never read the Bible before, uh, the stories of Jesus are in the New Testament, and so the story that we just heard were from the Gospels. That was the story of the empty tomb. But none of that really makes sense without the Old Testament, which is the reading from Exodus, which is what we just heard. And so we're trying to do, do a both and, understanding the story of Exodus in order to understand the story of Jesus. And today, we have come to a new pinnacle. We are, uh, uh, Moses is getting out, hallelujah, and Jesus is like, I picked up gardening. I, I, I found a new hobby. Uh, and today we celebrate Jesus' new hobby. Uh, last week you might remember that uh, John Carlos preached about um, uh, the, the story of Passover where, where we took the blood of lambs and, and painted it over doorways. And John Carlos talked about it's not just, you don't just paint it on a wall, you paint it on a door because God is trying to get you places. God is, put, God is putting this promise over a door so that you can move through some things in your life. This Passover is for you who are going through a tough time. That's for you. Uh, so we talked about that uh, in the Passover. And uh, today we have this story where Moses and the Israelites fled to the Red Sea and uh, were being hotly pursued by the Pharaoh. Now, if you uh, uh, were not familiar with the previous parts of this sermon series, if you have not read the book of Exodus, I want to do just a quick little review of what I'm going to call Pharaoh logic, uh, a little bit of review of some Pharaoh logic that has gotten us to where we are today. And so Pharaoh uh, first said, you know, there's too many of you, so I'm going to enslave you to make your lives harder. That's what uh, Pharaoh said to the Israelites. Uh, and, and that was bad. And then uh, <laughs> uh, right after that, he said, you know, actually, there's not enough of you, so I can't let you go. You know, before there was too much, now there's not enough. Like, Pharaoh was full blast Goldilocks, uh, gaslighting the Israelites. Like, there's not enough. You have to stay here. You can't go. You got to go. You can't go. There's too many. There's not enough. And then lastly, he says, uh, okay, finally, you're free. No, wait, I mean, just the men. Wait, actually, uh, no, just kidding. I need you. I mean, you need me. I mean, it's your fault. Like, Pharaoh is full blast confusing and confounding these people who are trying to get free. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt confused or confounded in your life if all of a sudden you find yourself in situations where you just keep banging your head against a wall, where suddenly it seems like you're in a loop that can't quit. But that might be because there's some Pharaoh logic. It's almost as if this feral logic was never really about pyramids. You know, it, it's almost as if it was never really about the bricks. You know, the pharaoh might have said, like, this is actually about economic 
stimulation, or actually, our, we, we require this socially. We need this. This is the only way that we'll have peace. But I have a feeling that this was never actually really about the bricks, because no matter what Moses and the people said to Pharaoh, they were not allowed to be free. Just like it's never really about gendered bathrooms. It's never really about libraries, and it's never really about water fountains. It's almost like this feral logic has a, an undertone, an unnamed secret story that is illogical to the outside viewer. Mm, interesting. Because even, uh, no matter what started as, what he might say as cultural conservation, we have to preserve the Egyptian way, or economic dependency, or even theological patronizing, you know, like we have to be better than whatever, what Pharaoh ended up with was flat out fear. What was motivating Pharaoh was fear. And if any of you have been in the depths of anxiety before, you know that anxiety convinces you of perfectly logical, wild things that are, you know, like, like anxiety is like, this is so true. You have to do it this way. If you don't do this, then, then something really, really bad is going to happen. Uh, but it's never actually, actually true, is it? You know, and, and Pharaoh, of course, didn't just have a lot of fear about the Israelites, but he had power. And when you combine fear and power and multiply it over time, you get oppression. Yeah. Oop. So this is the story that we are encountering. People who are living under a fearful, anxious ruler who doesn't know one way or the other how people are going to get free because he just wants things to stay the same. And Moses and the Israelites are trying to say, what if God doesn't want things to stay the same? What if God wants to bring about a new world? What if God doesn't want people to be in chains anymore? What if God is creating a world that doesn't operate in a pharaoh mindset? Oh, so this is, uh, this is, our story. And you can tell just how much Pharaoh was afraid and how much he hated the Israelites. Because did you catch that, that part uh, where he said, uh, the, uh, the Israelites, as he's pursuing them, the Israelites are lost and confused in the land. The desert has trapped them. So even as he's pursuing these people who just organized 100% of their society to get free, even as there's literally a miraculous pillar of fire, he's like, oh, they don't actually know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, no, they needed, they needed a, another unpaid internship before they knew how to do this. Oh, my gosh. They should, they should get a bachelor's. Oh, a lot of people have bachelor's. They should get a master's. They should get a PhD before they actually know what they're doing. No, no, no. They, uh, those Israelites don't know anything. Because when you are so filled with fear that you dehumanize a whole people group, you start to tell yourselves all kinds of stories. You start to be convinced that God isn't moving in places where God is obviously moving. Ooh. And so Pharaoh needed to be saved from his own fear. Pharaoh needed to be saved from the oppression that he was putting on other people. And God said, I'm going to set people free. I'm, gonna, I'm in a liberating kind of mood. And I'm not only going to set free the Israelites, but I'm going to show Pharaoh 
how to live in reality, the reality of God's love. So, uh, so that's, that brings us, uh, just to cut to present moment, like that's why we operate as a church, by the way. That's why we do worship and prayer and small groups. That's why we support each other through hard times. That's why we advocate for things that matter. Um, because as a community of faith, we believe that there are conversations that can happen here that can't happen anywhere else. As a community of faith, we believe there are practices held here that can't happen anywhere else. You know, Howard Thurman was talking about, Howard Thurman was a spiritual advisor for Martin Luther King Jr. He was talking about how we can't just address the tactics of racism. We have to reach all the way down and strike at the root of oppression. He says, we have to spiritually undermine the empire because the empire makes fools of us all, including the Pharaoh. We have to spiritually look down at the soul beliefs about how the world is and infuse it so vigorously, so potently with God's love that it changes everything above ground. We need to strike at the depths of the ocean to change all those icebergs, you know? Like, we, we really are spiritually undermining the powers of oppression in our world when we worship a God of liberation. That's what we're here to do. But how do we do that? How, uh, you know, like, okay, I showed up, I'm sitting in a pew, I feel a little warm, but it's okay, it's fine, I'm doing whatever. So, but like, how are we supposed to be doing this spiritual undermining? And the, the story of Exodus tells us uh, we need to let God rebirth us. <laughs> Listen, there's some midrash. I'm not going to geek out. I'm not going to geek out uh, for too long, but there's some midrash. Uh, midrash is like Jewish commentary on uh, scripture. And so there's some midrash that talks about like, Okay, so there was like a canal, there was a, 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 a path for people to be free, and that was the literal birth of the Israelite people. That was the actual birth of a new order of people. <laughs> Ooh, that's so good. So like, like our job is to see like how is God rebirthing you? How can you be born again and again and again? so that you can live a life of abundance and a community of liberation. That's our task. And every time we worship, we kind of offer a little bit more up to God, saying, like, God, I, I so want to invite the power that freed Moses and his people. I want to invite your power into my life, God, to change everything in my society. Because there's some pain, right, in, in our society. Um, so cut to Jesus. Uh, we heard the story of the empty tomb. Cut to Jesus. Now, uh, uh, Jesus just spent his whole ministry, uh, which, by the way, was only three years, so I've been in ministry for three times as long as Jesus. <laughs> There's no good in comparison. So I, like, uh, uh, uh-oh. Uh, I, need, I need to be pedaling a little bit harder, I think. Uh, so uh, Jesus operated in a world where the rules were Pharisee logic. 
the rules that Jesus operated in were Pharisee logic. Uh-oh, so here's what we heard. We heard Pharisees, these religious rulers of his time, say, you know, you're not religious enough. Don't break the Sabbath to help people. It's our day of rest. Just because this person's been suffering for years, don't provide them care because it's our day of rest. You're not religious enough. And then they looped around and said, you know, actually, you're too religious because just because I don't forgive someone doesn't mean that I'm violent. Just because I'm permanently trolling them anonymously doesn't mean that I'm mean. Like, don't attack my character just because I uh, undermine their basic self-esteem and core way of seeing themselves. I'm not mean. I'm just, yeah, so they criticized Jesus for being uh, too religious. And then they said, well, you know, maybe you're right. Wait, no, wait. Only if it applies to men. Like, literally. Uh, just kidding. Stop hanging out with all those people. Like, like, we saw in the Pharisees this same skittery anxiety that we saw in Pharaoh, where all of a sudden it's these folks very confidently saying, I don't like what God is doing in your life, and I'm not comfortable with it, so stop. And they're leveraging, they're appropriating religious language to deal with their anxiety. <laughs> it's like, this is just a method of control. And we've been here before. But does that mean that Jesus is just another revolutionary stuck in a history that is doomed to repeat itself? Like, there, okay, so Exodus was written between 5000 BCE and 9000 BCE, right? So 5000 to 9000 years before Jesus, Exodus was written. And Jesus was experiencing something that looked an awful lot similar to what Moses was experiencing. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we like just doomed to repeat this cycle? Are, are the next 5,000 to 9,000 years going to look like the past 5,000 to 9,000 years? Is there always going to be someone at the top of the literal pyramid who's always going to step on people? Are we always going to be held at the puppet strings of our oppressor's fear? Is that the loop that we are in? And the good news, as people of faith, is that the tomb was empty, y'all. <laughs> uh, for every revolutionary who went before, for every person who envisioned a new world, for every person who spoke against powers and principalities who ended up in the grave, there's Jesus. The one person who ended up with an empty tomb. See, without God, we're stuck. But with God, we've got options, y'all. With God, we got options, y'all. Like, I don't know who here feels stuck in their life. I don't know how many people are quiet quitting every part of their existence, but I'm just here to let you know that you got options. You got options in God. That, a, that God, who heard, the same God who heard the Israelites, is listening to your life story. The same God who heard the cries of people who didn't know what to do is looking at your life and is saying, I'm giving you new options that you didn't know were possible. Moses and the Israelites walked up to the Red Sea and they're like, well, I guess we're done here because there's just this body of water and that'll never change. And God was like, ha, I'm giving you options you didn't know you had. Ooh, 
oh, that's a, that's a sea? Guess what it's now? A hallway and maybe a birth canal. Like, this is like literally a new thing. God is giving us options. Can you imagine wearing sandals, running across that Red Sea, feeling the wet sand beneath your feet, the sharp stones. Can you imagine looking to your right and left and spontaneously singing the song of liberation, the song that Hannah wrote, knowing that God is giving us a new option? Can you imagine being one of the women who came to the empty tomb, their sandals slapping against the road as they ran to the disciples to say, God is doing a new thing? Can you imagine all of the people who put their faith in Christ only to see him executed now hearing that there are options. You need to question what you are assuming is a wall and see how God is painting it into a doorway. We as a city, (laughs) as a country, (laughs) as a global community, need to stop assuming that things are always going to be the way that they were and start dreaming how God wants them to be now. This is the good news of Easter, not just that some guy a long time ago did something, but that God is getting us out. But we have to practice. We have to practice catching the Holy Spirit. We have to practice loving God because that's that deeply internalized oppression stuff like that goes real deep. I just want you to know that I stopped myself from swearing like seven times in that last sentence because of how seriously I take it. Like it goes, it goes deep, y'all. And we have to practice a new way. We have to practice a new imagination of what God can do. The way that we do that, one of the key practices that we do is to approach the table. To remember that Jesus took the most common substance uh, around that you needed to live, bread and a cup of wine. And Jesus broke that bread and gave it to everyone and said, take this and eat all of you. This is my body broken for you. God is all in on getting all of us free. And likewise, Jesus took the cup And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because if there's anything that feels like a stuck moment, it's how stuck we are in our shortcomings and our mistakes. Jesus says, this is a new way out. This is your chance to remember how loved you are, how free you are, how forgiven you are, and how there is another world possible for you and for your community. This is the blood of the new covenant. So every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, every time we worship, every time we hear children breathe new life into the spirit of Easter, we are remembering that God is a God of new options, that God is making a way, and that God wants you to be able to get out. Amen?